The scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in our home over the last couple of days, several days, we've had some birthdays, and uh, we have another birthday still coming up. But for the middle two kids, um, they respectively turned 17 and 16, and so driving has been very much a part of our family's life over the last six months to a year, teaching how to drive and getting permits and getting licenses and all those things. And it's a rite of passage, right, in in our world, uh, in our culture, to be of driving age, to study and take tests and to pass and to have that license and to deal with sometimes failure and to have success. And uh, my kids pass, they have success, but, but some people struggle and there's some failure in that. And that's part of the, the rite of, of passage. And it's a big deal. It's part of um, kind of that journey into adulthood. You know, and it's interesting for us Americans, especially, we don't have too many rites of passage um, like other cultures do, even current or ancient, but, but getting that license is, is definitely one of them. Well, the passage you just heard uh, um, has several things to it, but right at the end, um, this Ethiopian getting baptized, uh, it represents a rite of passage, and uh, that is what we want to talk about today and then practice next week at at Ridgeway. And so just let me orient you uh, to our series. You see on the screen the words chapter 2, what comes after salvation. And so what we're doing for just a few weeks, uh, we started it last week, which was, of course, the first Sunday after, Resurrection Sunday after Easter. We, we are kind of just asking the question and answering what comes after the gospel, meaning salvation, right? So we, we, we culminate, in a, in a sense, the church 
calendar with Easter Sunday. And that, of course, follows Good Friday. Jesus went to the cross, uh, dying for us. He went, went there to forgive us. We speak of that as his passive obedience, right? Passively, I mean, he went actively, but nonetheless, on the cross, he is obeying his father. Actively, though, he lived this perfect life for 30-some years. He completely obeyed the law. He didn't struggle with idolatry, (laughs) like we've thought about this morning. He didn't struggle with, or didn't commit, rather, these sins. The scriptures tell us he was tempted like we are. He understands temptation, but but he was perfectly obedient, and that was his active obedience. So we need Jesus to go on to the cross to forgive us our sins, but we need him to be our righteousness because we fall short, and we, we are not righteous. And so Jesus then on the cross declared, it is finished. It is finished. He completed the work he had come to do to ransom a people for himself, to, to bring people from death to life, from darkness to light, to forgive. And then the resurrection is the vindication of who he is and what he's done. It's as if God uh, stamped, um, paid in full across the life and work of Jesus. And, and so he, he rose, and that's uh, the glorious gospel message. And then he was alive, and he appeared for some 40 days. He had all these appearances to various people. And then Acts 1.9 tells us that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's there now. We read briefly earlier from Hebrews. He is our high priest, and one of the things he does for us is he intercedes for us. How amazing is that? Our Savior not only did all that stuff for us back then, but now he intercedes for us. When you struggle with something, He's up there saying, Father, that one's mine. I died for them. I live for them. I got them, Father. And, and he's making this intercession. When we struggle, we pray, and, and, and he's there himself interceding. What, what an amazing truth. Romans 8, 34, Hebrews 7, 25, 1 John 2, 1, teach. And then Acts chapter 2, the church is born. So he ascended, and then there was another set of days, and, and the followers were waiting because Jesus had to wait. And then the day of Pentecost is, is what we find in Acts 2, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them in an amazing way, ushering in this new covenant era, right? We talked about different covenants, the covenant of law and works and Moses and all that, but now we live in the time of the new covenant. The Spirit indwells those who belong to God through Christ and the church. This is where we were last week. The universal church was born. And with the universal church, local churches, churches in various regions and locales. And so to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, is to be part of the church. The scriptures know nothing of a churchless Christian. Now, just briefly, and I said this also last week, there are seasons when we don't have a local church. That's Part of life, people move, people transition. Sadly, um, because churches are made of sinful people, people get hurt in churches, and so people leave a church and need to find another church. But the principle remains, if you're a Christian, you are by definition part of the church. You're, you're, part, you're part of this assembly, and what we find in the New Testament is that this universal assembly gets localized, and so God's plan 
is that believers identify a local group, like Soma Church Community, like Spring Hills Church, like New Vintage Church, like Hessel Church, and, and whatever, just the first three that came to mind, uh, different local churches that are all part of the universal church. And what comes with coming to the church, what comes after this gospel and salvation, and again, last week was a setting of the table, in, in a sense, uh, for these few weeks, um, is, is this, and we said this last week. Let's see if we can get... Not sure... There we go. I don't know if that was you or me, but uh, we'll, we'll see if that'll work. The local church and the habits of the local church, they teach us how to be more like Christ because that's what God is doing. He's sanctifying his church. I was talking with one of my kids even this morning. We, we drove past another church, St. Luke Lutheran Church, and, and Luther asked me, and Luther went to preschool there, but he said, Dad, is it named after Luke in the Bible? And I said, yeah, probably. Um, I said, but you're St. Luther, you know. And he kind of looked at me. He didn't hear the sermon last week. He, he was helping as he is again today. But, right, to be a Christian also is to be a saint. So the Apostle Paul writes letters to the saints at Ephesus or to the saints in Thessalonica. So saints in Santa Rosa gathered at Soma Church Community this morning. And it kind of sounds weird to us. Uh, we, we don't typically talk the way, but, but we are, because we're in Christ, if we're a Christian, we are saints. And yet we sin. We're at the same time righteous and sinner. It's this process of God refining. I mean, all these things that we, we experience. And, and he is making us more like Christ. And so the local church and her habits are... Uh, they teach us how to be more like Christ. And so the habits we're thinking about for a couple weeks are baptism, also an ordinance. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, we're going to talk about communion in a couple of weeks, that other ordinance. Um, that's supposed to be more than just a quick little three-minute add-on you know, to the service, and often that's what it is. I mean, I'm the first to admit it. Like, oh, that's right, it's communion Sunday, and, and it becomes a scramble to make sure we add on the communion piece. Um, and in doing that, if it's only ever like that, we, we forget. And maybe we don't know the, the richness of this habit, of this, of this ordinance, of this rite, back to rites that we go through. So we're, we're going to talk baptism today. We're going to experience it next week. Then on the first Sunday of May, we will go deep into the Lord's Supper and communion and that ordinance. And then the other next week, the, the plan, Lord willing, uh, is that next week uh, we will then um, talk about uh, spiritual growth through the body because to be part of the church is to be part of the, the body, the soma. That's what soma means. Jesus is the head and we're all a different part. We're all, we all have a part to play in, in a local church and the body grows to be more like Christ, to be more fruitful and effective when each part does its part and is connected to the other parts. And so we want to remind ourselves of that. And that's the plan, Lord willing, for next week. In my study this week, I was reminded, um, of course, with, with sons named Calvin and Luther, uh, there's a love in my life for the Protestant Reformation and the, the great reformers. But I was reminded that 
you know, they didn't give themselves that name. They didn't say, you know what, we want to be protesters. <laughs> and we want everybody in the future to call us Protestants. Or, uh, they didn't. Uh, they even didn't want to just be known as reformers. They, they weren't thinking that first and foremost. Uh, they preferred the term, you ready? Evangelical. And that's weird for our ears because in our day, that can be a, a term that's got baggage and, and, and other things attached to it. But they wanted to be known as, as evangelicals because that word is a transliteration of evangel, which is a transliteration of gospel. They were about the gospel. That's, that was their preferred term, people that were about the gospel. Uh, and yes, because there needed to be reform in the church, they added that, evangelical reformers. And, but again, these were all names associated to them later and for the most part, we mostly think of reformers or Protestants, but they were about the gospel. And one of the things that they did in wanting to reform as gospelers was to talk about the church and what makes a church a church. And so they, they talked about um, an essential mark of the church needs to be the pro- proclamation of the evangel, the gospel, the preaching of the good news. But the church is also visible, and so there needs to be these visible markers. And so uh, the reformer John Calvin, he wrote in Institutes of the Christian Religion, wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard and the sacraments, so we call them ordinances. I'll say more on that in a minute. But that's the Lord's Supper, that's communion, okay, where the sacraments are administered according to Christ's institution, meaning biblically practiced, there. It is not to be doubted, a church of God exists. And so that's why last week when I teased out the idea briefly, if you know, three Christians from three different places gather at a coffee shop, are they a church? And, and in that moment, no, they're not. Nor is uh, Young Life a church, that, that parachurch, or crew, or intervarsity. When, when those gatherings happen, the, the, we call them parachurch. Um, they're made up of people of the church, but in those settings, you don't have uh, the ordinances practiced. And so this is one of the things uh, that following the last 500 years, Christian, evangelical, as in gospel-centered denominations, whether it's Presbyterian, Lutheran, Baptist, free church like us, and on and on you can go, essentially agree with this. To be a church, there's got to be the preaching of God's word, the gospel, and there needs to be the ordinances. And, and sometimes, you know, added in there, uh, recognition of um, leadership, elders, pastors, and some of those kind of things. Our church's statement of faith says this, we believe that the true church, so think universal church, comprises all who have been justified by God's grace, grace through faith alone in Christ alone. They are united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, of which he is the head The true church is manifest in local churches whose membership should be composed only of believers. That's membership, covenant membership, we call it. Anyone, of course, is welcome to come and to to seek God and to have questions, and we invite anyone to come, whether or not they profess. Uh, But to be a covenant member, you, you ought to have been justified by grace through faith. So this is the universal. The statement goes on. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, 
baptism and the Lord's Supper. And here, here's that idea of, of the church being a visible community. When these ordinances, they visibly, right, we see, we hear, we feel, uh, taste in, in communion, and tangibly express the gospel. And though they are not means of salvation, we don't get saved by being baptized, we don't get saved by the Lord's Supper, both of them, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. And that's a nice statement on what we believe regarding uh, the church. That's statement seven from our statement of faith. So this morning, we want to talk about the ordinance of baptism. And I want to do a deep dive on baptism. Did you get the pun there? Thank you. I've been waiting all day for that one. A deep dive into baptism. So you heard Acts 8, 26 through 40 read, and if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn there. Uh, This is such a great account in the life of the early church. Um, So good. I wish we could, I I always say this, like when we did the signs through John, I I started, oh, I kind of wish we were in John because there's just so much. Uh, And so we're, we're only talking baptism. So there's so much that we don't have time to talk about from this account from Acts but it's good. It's just an amazing account. But we're going to focus and jump in at verse 36, actually. So this is still, again, the earliest days of the church. A little bit of context. Stephen was the first martyr, the first one to give his life literally for the gospel in Acts chapter 6 and 7. Acts chapter 8 opens with, Saul approving of that execution, and and that Saul is the man who would become, in most of our minds, the name Paul, the Apostle Paul. But he was a Pharisee, and he was zealous for uh, Judaism, and and he didn't want anything to do, and didn't want anyone else to have anything to do with this. What he thought of as a sect, as a as an offshoot that that was not good, uh, known as the Way Christianity. And so Stephen is killed. He approves of it. Uh, He ravages the church. He's looking to arrest people and and so on. Philip, um, in the first part of eight, uh, goes through Samaria, and he's an evangelist at heart. He shares. People come to faith. And then uh, it says uh, there, what we heard read at verse 26, that an angel said to Philip, go to the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he does. And it's just, again, a great account. And we'll kind of pick it up now at verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. So this is this Ethiopian and Philip. They had been talking. The Ethiopian had been reading out of Isaiah, and he had questions. And apparently Philip answered them, and it seems gave him a charge to put his faith in Christ. And so it says that the, the eunuch, more on that in a minute, said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he, Philip, baptized him. So, so glorious. Um, one commentator notes, one thing is certain 
the prophet Isaiah, which the Ethiopian was studying, does not speak of baptism. So we can only assume that when Philip had explained what the gospel does and creates, he also explained that the gospel demands a response of obedience, and that includes baptism. And so this Ethiopian eunuch wanted to be baptized to declare the fact that the blood of the lamb had redeemed him because that's what's at the heart of the Isaiah passage. There's this lamb, and this lamb has come, and, and the Ethiopian says, who's he writing about, himself or someone else? And, and Philip says, no, no, it's Jesus. And, and, and in response to that, he says, I see water. Why, what prevents me? And obviously Philip said nothing. The implication is if you believe, then let's go. Let's get you wet. Let's, let's dunk you into this water. Now back to who this guy was. It says that he's a he's a eunuch. Um, he he was from uh, Egypt, and he was this this court official, and and probably uh, because he was in charge of finances, and and because he was part of this royal court, um, he, he was very likely um, someone who had been emasculated, and um, and so. He goes to Jerusalem, though, because he's drawn to God. Uh, we would call him a God-fearer. He, he can't convert because of what's happened to him physically. Is, the, the Jewish laws wouldn't let that, wouldn't let that happen. He would be excluded because of what has happened to him physically. And yet he's there. He, he, he's a God-fearer. He's wanting to worship the God of Israel, but he cannot become a full convert. Or, or a proselyte, you might say. So having been barred from the inner courts of the temple, where he's, now he's thinking about Isaiah, um, it's fascinating too, because later in Isaiah 56, you can just write this down and look it up, Isaiah is going to prophesy that the time is going to come when God would grant, literally, eunuchs a, a heritage better than sons and daughters. So this guy, he he wants God, but he can't get to God because of the law, <laughs> interesting. And so as he's reading Isaiah, God brings Philip, this evangelist, and they have this conversation. Philip explains, he believes, and there's water. There's water. And so he wants to be baptized. What, what hinders me? I, I'm hindered from becoming a proselyte. Am I hindered from, from this? And Philip says, no, there's no hindering you. It doesn't matter what's happened to your body. If you believe you can you can be come and be baptized, and it's just like I said, it's a great great story. Baptism, this this word we see a couple of different times. What prevents me from being baptized? They go into the water, and Philip baptizes him. What does this word uh, mean? Take a look at the screen. Jacob, you can just click for me, and I'll try to tell you when to to click ahead. Uh, My clicker isn't clicking. Uh, The word baptize, we kind of take for granted a lot of these words. Even I mentioned the word uh, evangelical, right? We we associate meanings. That that word doesn't exist. It's a transliteration of, of a word that means gospel. Well, baptize is the same thing. It's a Greek term. You you kind of see the transliteration on the second line there, baptizo. And what does it mean? It means to dip in water, to immerse, to sink, to drench. Um, you could say that um, you could be baptized in Dr. Pepper. 
because it means to be immersed in something. Now, that sounds weird, and that'd be pretty sticky and painful, gross, and, and whatever. But that's all the word means, that at one level, it simply means to be immersed in, drenched in, um, and, and yet the way it's used most of the time has to do with, with water. And so when we talk about baptism, that's why this story in Acts 8 is so amazing. They, they find water, and this Ethiopian is immersed in water. He's, he's taken under into water. And that's what uh, the, the term means. Um, this was the normal practice, the normal rite of entrance that came after a person professed faith in Christ. So we don't have time, but I'll read briefly through the book of Acts, several passages. Uh, Back at Acts 2, verse 38, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preaches the sermon, and all these people, um, it says, are, are cut to the heart, they're convicted, and they say, what shall we do? Peter's answer, verse 38, chapter 2, is repent, turn, Back to God, repent, and be baptized. Be immersed in this water. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When he says that there in chapter 2, verse 38, um, this, this repenting and being baptized, this, this was... Um, an entirely new rite for the people of God. This, this is, again, a new thing that comes with the new covenant. Um, baptism, again, has all sorts of Christian baptism connections to other things, even the new covenant and the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we would be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that's a whole other topic I, I'll get to briefly today. Um, but, but there was similarity in form to other things. The, the Jewish people, they... They had some baptisms and some water things they did, uh, some ritual purifying. And then, of course, John shows up, the Baptist or baptizer, and there they were immersing themselves as a sign of, of, of getting ready for what God was doing and of their repentance. Um, and now it, this rite, this act, finds its fulfillment. What, what we see over and over again, I'll read a few more verses. People came to faith, they believed, they repented, and they found water, and they would get baptized. So verse 42, I'm sorry, 41. Those who received his word were baptized. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 12, just a little bit earlier in our chapter when Philip was in Samaria. Uh, when, When they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. It goes on. So, and then we come to our passage. And so what is emerging? Remember, Acts is um, descriptive of what the first church was doing. And as we pick up this description, and then when we pick up what the apostles would write, the, the prescriptions, we put it all together uh, into the next slide, Jacob, for me. What, what emerges is that Christian baptism starting in Acts and what is described and what comes prescribed eventually, it represents this rite of of being dunked in the water, two things. First, identification with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you can just picture that. We're going to see that next week at Ridgeway. I'm going to stand there and and we're going to take someone down representing Jesus' death and burial and then bring them up 
representing his resurrection. So there's an identification uh, and more with that. But then number two, and this is, I guess, why I wanted to spend a whole sermon on this. Really, it's this. To be baptized is the first act, it, it can be, it is often, of incorporating someone into the community of believers. So in Soma's first year as a church, and, and I don't know if very many of you were there um, back in 2008, um, we were meeting at the courtyard by Marriott, and uh, there was a woman uh, named Lisa who found our church online, and uh, she started visiting and in the matter of a few weeks, she had been, God had been drawing her to himself. But, but in the course of her story, that brought her to Santa Rosa for a time and to Soma. And she came and in a matter of weeks with us, she professed faith in Jesus. And then we had our first baptismal service in the pool at the courtyard by Marriott and baptized Lisa. And it was a picture of this where she identified with Christ, God saved her, she repented, believed and we need to baptize you, Lisa. And, 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 and so that, that ordering of things is what you see in the book of Acts as people came to faith and believed. And, and, and to, to be baptized then was her um, being welcomed, in a sense, into the community. She's saying, I'm, I'm a part of this community and local church, and we're saying, yes, you are, and you're part of the universal church community with your baptism. Indeed, yes, you are. Uh, next slide. Now, we talk about the source, as in where where does this ordinance, right, that phrase uh, or sacrament sometimes is used. Well, we believe that it it comes from Jesus. Again, we we trace uh, the description we see in Acts, the prescription not only by the apostles, but even the prescription of Jesus himself, Matthew 28. Before his ascension, he, he said, go, as you go, uh, make disciples, meaning help people begin and mature in me. Help them come to faith and then grow in faith. To be a disciple, it's just another synonym for being a Christian. So go, followers, and, and spread the gospel, make disciples. And then he said, baptize them. So there, there it is, the words of Jesus, a mandate from him. These new disciples should be baptized, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's one place where we get the concept of our triune God, one God, three persons. We baptize in the name of our God, who is Father, Son, Spirit. And then, of course, uh, we're to continue to teach people what Jesus has said and what it means to obey him and to follow him. But, but he mandated this, and so the church practices it. The Apostle Paul will come along, Peter will come along and and spell out certain things, but, but this is an ordinance because it's from the Lord Jesus. We'll talk about the ordinance of communion in a couple of weeks, but this comes from Jesus. Second uh, thing, next slide, please. The, the purpose of this ordinance, and we've already not noted this briefly, is that it visibly, right, and tangibly expresses the gospel. We're gonna see people go under and come up so it's visible, it's tangible. You're going to be dry. Those of you that are going to get baptized from your waist up, and then you're going to get wet. And so there's this experience, tangible, of, of the gospel, of what Jesus came to do. Of course, there's more to it than that, 
right? The, the, the water, Peter says that baptism is a picture of the cleansing. So to become a Christian, to repent, to say, God, I need you. I need the work of Christ, his obedient life. I need his work on the cross to forgive my sins. Um, that's a cleansing of us on the inside. And so baptism, this water, it, it figuratively represents uh, the washing that has happened on the inside. So the water, you know, we, in a sense, you go down and now you're wet and you're clean, in a sense, outwardly, and that's a picture, uh, a visible picture of the cleansing on the inside. And again, we'll, we'll talk about the visible and... Uh, tangible expression of of communion in a couple of weeks. But see, it's a sign, this act. It points to the gospel. So again, the gospel um, confirms a a Christian, a new believer um, with with this act uh, and and identifying with Christ. And then it, again, um, notes their their being part of, of the church. And this is why, just as a quick comment Historically, historically, it's been the practice of churches of almost all denominations to require baptism. And again, baptism takes different forms in different churches. We, we don't have time today to talk about the mode of baptism, you know, sprinkling versus dunking and, and the timing, you know, infants or believers, except briefly. But universally, it's been the practice of all denominations to have baptism come before one takes the Lord's Supper. Because if baptism is the initial rite of identifying someone with Jesus and the gospel and to be a part of the church, that should precede then the regular remembering of the gospel with with communion. Now, there's grace there and and in our church and in our denomination. There's freedom there. We, We don't police that. But to you, Parents that have kids, I would encourage you to think about that. If your kids have yet to be baptized, it might be wise to have them hold off on communion until they have professed with this outward act what God has done on the inside. And once they have professed it, then then this other rite comes. Just something to think about uh, as well. Trying to decide... How much to skip as I look at the time? I'll, I'll cover these things quickly. Um, one other way to think about baptism and what it means, and this comes from a great book called um, Evangelical Convictions. And this is a book that our denomination puts out kind of as a... Um, a commentary, if you will, on our statement of faith. And so the writers note this. Go ahead, Jacob, next slide for me. Um, There are three actors, if you think about it this way, um, who play a part in every act of baptism. And the first actor is, is the believer, right? The person that gets baptized. From one perspective, the person who comes to be baptized um, has something happen to them. They get wet. Um, If you get baptized at Soma, you're going to get a shirt that's going to, uh, explain what, what has happened and what it represents, and, and you experience this, right? You, you, you feel the water and all of that. Uh, next slide. So, so the person that gets baptized is one actor. Another is the church's affirmation. 
Um, we do it together. We, we are doing this in a week. We want, hopefully, all of you to be there. We're enticing you with water slides. Uh, no, but we want you there because we want, as a church, to affirm. We, we want it to be kind of like when we dedicate children or when there's a wedding ceremony and the officiant says, before God and these witnesses, it's a way of saying, hey, we hear you that's professing, but we as a church, we're, we're there. So if something happens, we can... We can remind you, remember when you were in the water, you professed faith. And so the church uh, has a second, or the, the church becomes a second actor as we affirm what, what happens. And then finally, next slide, please. Um, God, in his presence, of course, is, he's the third, in a sense, there. His promise uh, that, again, not that anything happens in the act, but it's an expression of what has already happened. And so, as I mentioned already, um, Peter writes, baptism, which corresponds uh, to this, saves you. That is, not a removal of dirt, but as a picture, as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. Or Romans 6, 2 through 4. I'm sorry, verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised, we too might walk in newness of life. So, so God does something. He, it's a confirmation of his promises, of what has happened on the inside. Um, I sometimes joke during baptism that the longer you've been uh, a sinner, that's, that's as long as I got to keep you under the water. And of course, that's, that's not true, but, um, but there's a sense that, yeah, I've, I've lived apart from you, God, and I need to be cleansed. And again, it's not the water that does it. It's, it's the work of God's spirit in us. And again, that, that act just symbolizes that and shows that. Have you been baptized? If you have, recall when you were baptized for a minute. Some of you were younger. I was in high school, uh, so it's been a long time, but I remember I remember being with some of my closest friends. A bunch of us, we were ready at the same time. Um, remember your baptism. Remember what, why you did it, what God had done in your heart, and why you went through it. And so then again, I think, Jacob, the next slide might be the um, let's go forward, actually, to the that one. Yes, the big water picture. So one more time, church, you're invited, not only to participate next week, but if you haven't, uh, maybe this is the time, if you are a Christian. And maybe, and it might be the case that some of you are here, and, and God is connecting all these dots. And, and maybe it's time today for you to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus as your savior, to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you, to, to forgive you by his perfect life and to receive that cleansing on the inside. And then what prevents you from next week getting baptized? Well, only just a little conversation with me, but let's do it. And so if God's at work in you today, uh, come talk to me um, and just turn to him and, and repent and believe. Um, but we'll have a great time next week. Um, and we'll talk even more out there at the water of what this is. Um, 
this glorious sign, this glorious rite of passage to identify your faith in the Lord Jesus and to say, I'm a part of this universal church and this, this local body that's, that's witnessing my, my profession. So would you stand? And we're going to sing one final song. Father, I know I join many in the room uh, in remembering when, when I went into the baptismal waters. Thank you for what you had done in my life. Thank you that you had revealed yourself to me. You, you gave me eyes to see the glorious good news, the gospel, that, that Jesus died for me and he loved me and wanted to forgive me and wanted his righteousness to be mine. And, and I didn't have to try. I didn't have to earn my way to you. I could come as I was and you would receive me. And, and then, not too long after, I, I understood I wanted to show my church family that I believe that with this rite, this act of baptism. And I thank you. And I know, again, others recall their baptismal too. And so thank you for those that are signed up for next week. And God, if there's others that haven't yet, and if this is the time, um, by your spirit, give them the courage to come talk to me and, um, and we will rejoice as a church and whomever is baptized next week. Thank you, in Jesus' name.